Crooked Shelf Media. A podcast where we talk about anything from true crime to the paranormal. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Sierra. Hey, guys. So today, we are going to give ourselves a time limit on what we're talking about. That's <laughs> first and foremost, because as we discovered over the past few days, we can talk about this for hours. Uh-huh. If you listen to the last episode, we teased this a little bit. And so we are going to talk about, specifically first, Jim Jones, and then the People's Temple. Um, so, yeah, if you listened to last week, or not last week. The last, you could call it last week, so the, that's fine. The last episode we did, um, I teased this one. Colts are my favorite. Um, Jonestown, People's Temple is mm-hmm. my favorite cult. Yeah. Um, this is actually going to kick off a series of episodes on cults. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably yeah. an important little tidbit. That, this is going to kick off a series of episodes on cults. Which I am so excited mm-hmm. about. Because cults were one of the things that we started talking about like early on when we were becoming really good friends. Best friends, actually. And yeah. <laughs> can't Thank forget you. that. Yep. And Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensitive when he just calls me his friend because we're best friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and cults were one of the things that we both realized really quickly that we both loved. Yeah. So we got to talking. I think the first one we talked about was the Manson family, which we talked about last time as well. That'll be an episode in this. But then we quickly realized that we both, and I hate to use this word, but loved the people's temple. <laughs> Right. And, and everybody who's listening, as we've said before, you know what we mean when we say stuff like that. Right. We don't love what they did, but we love to learn and talk about these things. And this is one of the most interesting cults, religions, whatever you want to call it. Google calls it a religious movement. It's a cult. Plain and simple. We'll just leave it at that. This is one of the yeah. most interesting cults. To study. If you don't know anything about it, stay tuned because we're going to talk a lot about it and then do your own research and try not to listen to the audio of the last day. Yeah, um, I've listened to a lot of the audio. Um, Jim Jones actually recorded almost all of his sermons mm-hmm. and I've listened to a lot of them. They are very hard to hear. Um, I'm especially okay when he talking. until children. And when I can hear children yeah. struggling, that's when I have problems. Um, I've listened to a lot of his white night calls, mm-hmm. and those have been incredibly detrimental to my mental health. Like, Well, I mean, that was their goal, just, though. Like, as, right. As what he did with them, his goal was to terrify these people. And to make them, which he did, make them believe that he was in control of their lives, whether they wanted it mm-hmm. that way or not. Right. And that's why the defectors and stuff, and we'll talk about all of that in the next episode, and honestly, probably two episodes. I know we've said that right. before, like especially like Mara Murray we thought was going to turn into two episodes, but we just kept talking until we got all of our information out. 
This one we have yeah. actually set a time limit on. So once we hit that time limit, it's a cold stop. We'll finish whatever thought we're working on and then pick up in the next episode. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to jump into it. So I'm going to start talking about Jim Jones first. Mm-hmm. I think to understand what happened at the People's Temple, what happened in Jonestown, um, you need to understand who Jim Jones is. I think that's imperative. And there are some cults um, that we'll talk about where the leader, I mean, the leader in a cult is always essential to what's going on. Mm-hmm. But had Jim Jones not been raised the way he was, I don't think we'd be talking about the People's Temple. Right. And, like, I can't say that about Charles Manson. Like, I think Charlie was born crazy and that that was going to happen no matter what. Yeah, definitely. But I the way that Jim Jones that. was raised is what gave us the People's Temple. And I believe that he is definitely a product of nurture. For, in yeah. the nature versus nurture. I believe that he is a product of nurture. Yeah. Um, so, to start off with, Jim Jones was ordained. Mm-hmm. Um, he was ordained in the Disciples of Christ, um, or as a Disciples of Christ pastor. I don't know what the correct term is. Yeah, I'm not sure. When, when you say that. Whatever. <laughs> um, again, I'm... Oh, I guess I said it in the in the mini-sode that you would get if you're a Patreon subscriber. That was excellent. Um, that was such a good segue. <laughs> I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm not a religious person. I, like, the the things that religious leaders do in the name of their God, like, fucking blow my, like, it blows my mind. Yep. Um, though, I'll, I'll touch on this in a little bit, <laughs> but... Um, so he was from Indiana and rural Indiana. He was born to a World War One veteran. Um, uh, his dad was a World War vet- World War One veteran. Wow, that was hard to say. <laughs> um, blah blah blah. I don't care about any of his descent. Be honest, he's Irish and Welsh. He claimed to be partially Cherokee, but I don't know that that can be found to mm-hmm. be true. He lived during the Great Depression. Um, he grew up in a shack without plumbing. So, as a child, <laughs> um, he we are on the same wavelength because he studied a lot of Stalin. A lot of Hitler. <laughs> um, he studied a lot of Marx, Gandhi. Um, Ethan's making fun of me for saying Hitler, um, <laughs> but he did. I, well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about fucking Nazi Germany sometime. I have lots of opinions <laughs> on that. Um, Hitler wasn't wrong. Just kidding. Just kidding. Goddamn. <laughs> um, no, but but Jones was studying like his strengths, and mm-hmm. um, we. I mean, Hitler was a very good speaker. Um, not that what he was saying was right, right. But as a public or, speaker, right, and, he was a very he was very strong speaker. Personal is not the right word, but he was very commanding when he spoke. So that was that's how he got his mission accomplished. And Jones 
was able to take what Hitler did as a child and lead almost like a youth religious movement through it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. He gave sermons in a barn, wearing robes, like... Jones, like he's yeah. such an interesting character. He was obsessed with religion as a child because he found making friends difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, his acquaintances would describe him as being like a really weird kid. He was obsessed with religion. He was obsessed with death. And, excuse me, sorry about that. It's that pizza heartburn, you know? <laughs> He would hold funerals for small animals, Mm -hmm. and he's evidently stabbed a cat to death. Yep. Jones' father, what is his name? Sorry, let me find it real quick. Oh, it's James. Yeah. Of course it is. Um, James was uh, described as an alcoholic who associated with the KKK. Um, In Indiana during this time, of course, the KKK was very prominent, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, Jim Jones, however, like really, really sympathized with repressed African-Americans. And due to his own social outcast, he later would talk about how he and his father clashed on the issue of race and how he didn't speak to his father for many years after um, his dad refused to allow one of Jim's black friends into the house. After his parents uh, divorced, or they separated, I don't know that they actually divorced, Jim and his mom moved to Richmond, Indiana, where he graduated with early with honors from high school. And then the following year, in 1949, he married Marceline Baldwin, a nurse, and they moved to Bloomington, Indiana. He attended Indiana University at Bloomington, where a speech by Eleanor Roosevelt about the plight of African-Americans impressed him. And then he moved to Indianapolis, where he attended night school at Butler University, earning a degree in secondary education 10 years after enrolling. Okay. Sounds like me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, like I said, uh, Jim Jones was ordained as a Disciples of Christ pastor, Um, He considered Jesus Christ as being in compliance with an overarching belief in socialism as the correct social order. Mm -hmm. So there there are things, and I really have conflicts about this, Um, but Jim Jones was obviously a a big socialist. Um, He attended gatherings of the Communist Party of the USA, in a lot of ways, he and I have very similar ideals. He just went crazy after he got power. Right. He would also, um, as as an early preacher, or as a young preacher, he would go into these impoverished communities, into, into predominantly black, um, you know, poverty-stricken mm-hmm. communities, and would preach about um, equality. And preach about how black people deserve to be treated as human beings and he got a really large following really quickly because I mean we're in the 50s and 60s where you know fucking civil rights like I mean it's all fresh and right you know front and center for these people 
and then you have this this white man who is coming around preaching the God that you know God thinks that all men are equal, mm-hmm. and that was just pivotal for these people. Yeah, he ca- like he came along at a time that he was able to capitalize on such a huge event in our nation's history that that allowed yeah. him, like you were saying, it allowed him to pull these impoverished impoverished black people, African Americans, you know, into his. I hate to call it his fold, mm-hmm. but that's essentially what it is, and allow him to use that stance as a way to pretty much control them. Yeah, definitely. Um, we get into faith healing. Um, I mean, he starts, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah. My favorite quote, my favorite quote by him is, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about and his faith healing for a second? Because that's one of my favorite aspects of, like, early Jim Jones. Oh, yeah. Um, he, so, like, what I love, and you maybe have just about to said it, but what I love is that he was, like, slightly trained in sleight of hand. Yeah. So he would pull, quote-unquote, hearts out of people's chest. And it was like a pig heart. But they were plants in the audience, and... No one else knew any better. And suddenly he had cured them of whatever. Or he would pull out a mass of intestines out of them that was cancer ridden, but they were pig intestines. But they would be up as sleeves and it was all sleight of hand. And that, like, as a, as a 20 something, like a teen 20 something, however old he was when he was doing all of this, that's genius as a way to try to build a following of people. Like, look what I can do. But I think it also shows um, him wanting to have control mm-hmm. and doing literally anything to maintain that control over his people. I agree with that. And I also think that he was a showman. And that was the biggest... That ended up, in my opinion, being his biggest downfall. And it, I think that that's a lot of where that comes from. We've talked about this in the past. Like, I am a musician. Outside of my, like, everyday job, I play music pretty much every weekend. That's how I make some side money. And so there's a persona that you put on when you are in front of people. As a person, Mm -hmm. I am very introverted. I do not like being in front of people. I do not like talking to large groups of people. But as soon as I step in front of a group of people, it's a persona that I adopt. I don't think he had that. I think that what we saw or hear or read about in these faith healings is who he was from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed. I think that that's who he was. And so for him to be able to live that life constantly 24-7 for years is kind of impressive in the weirdest sense of that word. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this was all early 20s for him, um, early 20s and 30s. And he so was first introduced to this faith healing um, at a service at a Seventh uh, Day Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. There was a um, reverend there that was a religious author, and he he was doing all these faith healings. And this is this is when it clicked in Jim Jones' head that this is what I need to do to keep people following me. So he went to this big religious convention 
Um, it took place June 11th or June 15th, 1956. Um, and after this convention, he decided to launch his own church. Um, it, it changed names a few times, but it finally became the People's Simple Christian Full Gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it launched as an interracial mission. So he wanted to, to bring in people of all colors, of all faiths, um, and bring them to Christianity and show them that there is equality. So he, he was doing a good thing because you're in these impoverished areas. He just took it a little too far. Yes. I'd, I'd even say a little, he took it more than a little too far. <laughs> well, yeah, because he only killed 900 fucking people. Right. But, but I know what you mean. Um, it, like you said, like you touched on it earlier, I agree with the ideas that he was raised with, that he grew up thinking. Socialism. Mm-hmm. Like, I identify as a democratic socialist in my life. Yeah, and same. I, I agree with that aspect of it. I just, I can't picture how you can take that thought, that train of thought, and transfer it into what he did. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the power struggle, and once he found out that he could get power through this, that's what took him down that road. So I think something else that didn't help was that in 1960, the Indianapolis mayor uh, Charles Boswell appointed Jim Jones as director of the Human Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. Boswell told him to keep a low profile. Uh, jo- Jones, of course, ignored that Whoa. because why yeah. would you keep a low profile? Um, and he started finding new outlets for his views on local radio and television. He, um, the mayor and other commissioners had asked him to curtail his public actions because he was ultimately what he started doing in, in preaching equality, it kind of went against him where people were rising in the streets Mm -hmm. Um, he went to a meeting of the Urban League and the NAACP where he yelled for his audience to be more militant and then started chanting, let my people go. So even though he's doing good things like helping racially integrate churches and restaurants and police departments and amusement parks and uh, there's a big Methodist hospital in the area um, that, you know, black people can now go to and they can enjoy all these things and get proper health care. A lot of people were pissed, mm-hmm. obviously. So we have this situation where these swastikas are painted on the homes of these two families and Jim Jones personally walked through the neighborhood and was comforting these people and counseling white families not to move because then that would prevent the white flight. Right. Now we know that mm-hmm. white flight still happened. Right. But yeah. You can only do so much. Jones would also um, set up stings to catch restaurants refusing to serve black customers. Mm -hmm. And then he would also write to American Nazi leaders and then pass their responses to the media. So, I mean, it all goes back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Like, fundamentally, 
he's doing very good things. Yeah. I mean, he's setting up stings for Nazis and KKK. Like, he's... Yeah. He's helping to end racism in America. At least trying to. As we know, it's Mm -hmm. still rampant in this country. But he's attempting to help everybody that he can. So at this point, yeah. I wouldn't say that he's gone absolutely insane. Oh, no, not not yet. So in 1961, Jones collapsed. Um, at this point, we know he was using a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we don't really know why he was in the hospital, why he collapsed, but I would assume it's drugs. Uh, but we don't know for sure. Right. He was placed in the black ward of the hospital and he refused to move and he began making the beds and emptying bedpans of black patients. And this caused hospital officials to um, desegregate the wards. So lots of good things, you know, he's doing. But then you have all these things happening to him himself where like white owned businesses and locals were critical of him. Swastikas were painted on the temple. A stick of dynamite was left in the temple's coal pile. Um, A dead cat was thrown at his house after a threatening phone call. And a bunch of other like like weird incidents like that occurred. And then after the fact, people started saying that Jim Jones may have been involved in at least some of them. So he was... He was doing good things, and then he was trying to make it look like everyone hated him. It's the show, Like, all the yeah. white people. Right. Um, another pretty good, cool thing that he did was he and his wife adopted several children. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they referred to their household as the Rainbow Family because several of the children were at least partly non-Caucasian. Um looks like they adopted three Korean-American children, and that kind of started his, like, war of liberation, um, that the South is a living example of all the socialism in the North, uh, that the North has overcome and when talking about Korea. Um, he and his wife also adopted a child that was partly Native American. Susan... Um, was one of their younger children. She was adopted at the age of six in 1959. We know that older kids have a hard time being adopted. So they were um, not just adopting babies. And then the couple had their only biological child, which was um, also in 1959. Mm -hmm. So they had two children in 1959. And then two years later... In 1961, the Joneses became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child. This black child um, was named Jim Warren Jones Jr. Mm -hmm. And then the couple adopted another son who was white named Tim. Tim's mother was a member of the People's Temple. So, that's interesting. Oh, I, I mean, we'll get so, into, like, crazy things that people in the People's Temple did with their children and their birthrights later. Yeah. There's so much. Mm-hmm. At this point, 
1961 after a temple speech about a nuclear apocalypse um, because you have to use fear to keep people safe. Right. Esquire magazine listed, I'm not going to try to say because I'm going to just say it wrong, this place in Brazil um, as a safe place during the nuclear war. Mm -hmm. So Jones traveled with his family to the city with the idea of setting up a new temple location. And then that is when Jones made his first trip to Guyana. Mm-hmm. Which we know is later where they moved right. to. In 1963, they moved to California. He told his Indian uh, congregation that the world would be engulfed by nuclear war on July 15th, 1967. And for some reason, California was one of the only like couple places that was going to be spared. That's why they went there. Right. Right. Um... He said that this would be when a new, uh, this would create a new social, new socialist Eden on Earth, and that the temple had moved to Northern California for safety. They moved near the Redwood Valley area. <sighs> so nothing too exciting happens in California. He was able to set up more Jones. temples, like more yeah. locations for them. Because I know like L.A. was very popular. It, yeah. it grew to be one of the biggest people's temples location. In San Francisco, mm-hmm. which in San Francisco, the the opening of the center location in San Francisco, um, Rosalind Carter First Lady Rosalind Carter was actually there and spoke with Jim mm-hmm. Jones. And <laughs> they, it's funny because any article that talks about this mentions that Jim Jones got more applause than Miss Carter right. did. But what, you know, what do you mm-hmm. expect? Jones started forging alliances with the press. Um, because there was a lot of media scrutiny, so he was trying to put the good out. And then in the summer of 1977, Jones and several hundred temple members abruptly decided to move to the temple's uh, compound in Guyana after they learned of the content of an article um, that was published including allegations by formal temple members that they were physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. Mm. So this is where we see the creation of Jonestown. Um, Jonestown was formerly known as the People's Temple Agricultural Project. And it was meant to, uh, it was promoted as a means to create both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from the media scrutiny in San Francisco. He um, named it after himself, obviously, um, because his name is Jones. He wanted to establish Jonestown as a model communist community, stating, um, he said, I believe we're the purest communists there are, which communism's great, okay? (laughs) Right, on paper, it's perfect. Like... (laughs) 
it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we would have to be in a utopian society for communism to ever right. work correctly. And if you hate me for saying that, I don't care. <laughs> I do care a little bit, actually. I'm sensitive. <laughs> Jones didn't permit permit members to leave Jonestown, taking after the restrictive immigration policies of the Soviet Union, Cuba, North Korea, and other communist states. Mm. This is why, like, the biggest reason people couldn't leave. And I... Like, I've, I've talked a lot about this case, and people are always like, well, why, why wouldn't people just sneak out? Well, in a lot of communist countries, there are patrolmen at the borders. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened at Jonestown. Right. There were men with guns that walked yep. the commune's fucking borders. So it was not a place that was easy to run away from. Right. And then at this point, after they move to Guyana, is when he has a hard time hiding his drug addiction from his rank members. Also, just a fun fact, 68% of Jonestown's residents were black. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, was doing a really good job with this interracial church that he wanted. Which I could be getting this confused with something else, though. The majority of the people of power... And the People's Temple, though, were white. Wasn't there one yes. black person in a position of power? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. I believe so. So while he's preaching this whole, you know, uh, community of togetherness and integration, he's not doing it himself. And if I'm not mistaken, right. he knows that that's one of the reasons why so many African Americans are willing to join is because of this one person in power. And so it kind of seemed like there was a point in time where he didn't even want him in a position of power, but he knew he needed him to continue his message. Right. Right. Which is kind of Mm -hmm. fucked up. So something else that's fucked up that happened. So there was this woman named Grace who kept trying to defect and defecting is in leaving. Um, Jim Jones had sex with her to keep her from leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't work because she still left and left her child with Tim, her husband, in Jonestown. Mm-hmm. Tim also defected and they left their child there. I don't. Oh, one thing. One thing. Tim, um, Grace's husband, asked Jim Jones to have sex with her. With his Mm -hmm. wife. Which I'm not kink shaming, but... No thank (laughs) you. Jim Jones also looked so much older Mm -hmm. than he was. Drugs will do that to you. He looks like 50 or 60, but he died when he was like Mm -hmm. 48. A bunch of uh, defectors and relatives in 1977 formed a concerned concerned relatives group. They traveled to Washington, D.C. in 1978 to visit the State Department. 
officials and members of Congress who wrote, who wrote a white paper, um, which a white paper is just a report that guides, um, or sorry, it's a report or guide that informs readers about a complex issue, presents um, the you know philosophy of the matter, helps readers understand an issue, resolve a problem, make a decision. This one being all about his grievances about Jim Jones and the People's Temple. His efforts uh, piqued the curiosity of California Congressman Leo Ryan, who wrote a letter on the concerned relatives' behalf to the Guyanese Prime Minister. And the concerned relatives also began a legal battle over, uh, with the temple over the custody of Tim, Tim's son, John, the son that they mm-hmm. left. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's the child whose birth rights were given to Jim. Yes. Yeah. So, as much as I hate to say this, like, they can legal battle it all they want... They don't really right. have much of a case. Right. So, don't leave your children with strangers. Right. Please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so, after Jones left uh, the U.S. and headed to Guyana, most of his political allies broke their ties. Mm-hmm. Some did not. Um, as a show of support, Willie Brown spoke out against enemies at the, um, at a rally at the temple, which Harvey Milk attended. Okay. Yeah. And then in 1978, Harvey Milk wrote a letter to Jimmy Carter defending Jim Jones as a man of high, of the highest character. (laughs) If only you knew, Mr. Milk. Right. Which, man, we should talk about that case sometime. Yeah. Because that's fucked up. Uh Uh-huh. So I guess before we get into more of the concerned relatives group and what they do next, I guess I want to talk about Jonestown itself for a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to not hit the same points that I've already made. I will tell you, we're pushing close to our time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, shit. I just looked at that. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So Jonestown started out with 500 members um, that did construction. In 1976, Guyana approved the lease it had negotiated with the temple for over uh, 3,000 acres of land. Um, The Guyanese officials uh, granted the temple permission to import certain items Mm duty-free, which would be helpful if you don't have a lot of money. Right. Which we know they did not at first. But... Moving countries and then building a whole commune, you're not going to have a lot of money. Right. Um, Marceline, uh, Jones' wife, described Jonestown as dedicated to live for socialism, total economic and racial and social equality. We are living here communally, which we know is not true. Right. 
So in the summer of 1977, this is when Jim Jones himself and his family and several hundred Temple members moved to Jonestown. Mm-hmm. Um, they left San Francisco. And Jones left the same night that an editor at the uh, New West magazine read him in an article to be published um, detailing the accusations of abuse by the formal temper. Form, oh my God, I can't talk. Former Temple members. Holy shit. It's only noon. I'm not even... Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm not even drunk yet. I can't talk. So there's mass integration. And Jonestown soon became overcrowded. So at its peak in 1978, there were just under 1,000 members. Wow. Yeah. Roughly, approximately 70% of Jonestown's population were black. Um, 45% of the residents were black women, specifically. 13% were white uh, females. 11 were white males. And then less than 3% were mixed female and males. Okay. So I guess just biracial. Mm-hmm. I don't like the word mixed. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I do want to talk about the white night rehearsals. Um, so one, I think it's funny that they're called white nights because, you know, the KKK and white nights. Right. This is a different kind of nights. This is just N-I-G-H-T though, not yep. K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, so what would happen on these white nights is there was a PA system throughout the compound and J- Jim Jones was on a lot of drugs, like a lot. Um, so he wasn't sleeping a lot. He, and he was like, I'm all for drug use, whatever. I don't give a shit, but drugs do rot your goddamn brain out. Mm-hmm. And we actively see that happen with him. And that is crazy. So with these white nights, um, Jim Jones would get on the PA system and I, I'm pretty sure he would like actually call out white knight, um, over the PA system. And then everybody would get out of bed, including children. Um, they would all meet and Jim Jones would usually, go on some rant about capitalist pigs and fucking he would start writing um, what they called revolutionary suicide notes. And those are all just talking about how you're dying for socialism. Basically mm-hmm. it's fucking nuts. Yep. Um, and, and it doesn't just necessarily have to be socialism that you're dying for. It can be whatever your political affiliation is with these people. It just happened to be socialism and communism. Mm-hmm. A mass suicide was also rehearsed. A temple defector named uh, Deborah Layton described the event in an affidavit, and I'm going to read that from her words. Um, it is kind of graphic, so I'm sorry. If you don't want to hear this, just fast forward a little bit. Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. 
As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would, we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came, we should have dropped dead. Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real, and we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands. So one thing that she doesn't really go in depth on on that that I thought was interesting was that he also had plants who pretended to die, like actively, like who would have coughing fits and fall out on the floor for 45 minutes. Right. And people that were there that defected said that they were they had started to kind of wonder what was going on because they knew that he gave this time limit. But these people were like obviously taking a long time to die and they were curious why not everybody had started the process. Right. The temple was receiving half pound shipments of cyanide since 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just order, you can't just get online and order cyanide. Uh, Jim Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical. Um, and it, I mean, it's used to clean gold and other metals um so he was lying about being a jeweler so he could buy cyanide right and then in in 78 um one of the doctors that was at the temple wrote a memo to jones asking permission to test the cyanide on the jonestown's pigs because their metabolism was close to that of humans and then they could see how long it would take for a human to succumb to the poison it just fucks me up (laughs) yeah it's absolutely insane oh my favorite thing okay so during this whole custody battle thing i do want to touch back on this real quick um i know i'm kind of jumping all over the place and i'm sorry i just keep remembering these things that i want to say so we know before that with like the cat being thrown at his house and the spray paint and you know all that bullshit that some of that was him doing it to himself And he actually set up a false sniper attack on himself. Right. And this is when he began the first series of White Knights. He called this the Six-Day Siege. And... It was at a picnic, wasn't it? Yeah. And... During the siege, he talked to temple members about attacks from outsiders and had them surround Jonestown with guns and machetes. Mm-hmm. Deputy Minister Reed um, had assured Marceline that the Guyana Defense Force would not invade Jonestown because right. we have to remember that Jim Jones is the only one that knows this fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone is legitimately scared for their lives and... Marceline is, like, reaching out to people to make sure that they're safe, which I think is fucked up. Right. I'm afraid to get into too much more because our time limit. (laughs) Yeah, we're pushing time right now. So let's go ahead and call it quits for this episode. Okay. And in the second episode of The People's Temple, uh, we will talk about actual more information about the White Knight, White Knights, and the whole messed up conclusion to all of this. Yeah. So the next episode is probably going to be a little shorter. Um, Mm -hmm. But if I keep going right now, this episode is going to be way too long. So, right. 
Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this one up right there, and please stay tuned for the next episode in a couple of weeks, so that way you can hear the conclusion yeah. of the People's Temple. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you feel so inclined, please hop over to our Patreon at Patreon.com/TheoryAndCrime. We have a lot of cool uh, goals set up there that people are starting to take advantage of, and it's absolutely awesome, and we cannot thank you enough. We referenced the mini-sodes earlier in this episode. You can find all of those on there. Mm -hmm. And if you want to interact with us on social media, you can find us at Theory and Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at theorycrimepodcast at gmail.com. You got it. Yep, I've got it memorized now. Um, We are also working on a newsletter, so that'll just have some information about us, about the podcast, about things that are upcoming, um, any announcements. So keep an eye out on how to sign up for that. Yeah. Here in the next few weeks, probably not on this episode, but... And hopefully we have our website up and running here soon as well. Yes. So we've got lots of exciting stuff coming up. Um, As always, we appreciate you guys listening and tuning in um, every other week. Yeah, and let us know any cases that you think we should cover. We we have got some really good feedback from some people on Facebook about some cases that they think we should tackle. And so we're adding those to the list. And if you think of something that you think we should cover, let us know. We'd love to do it. Yeah. Um, Alex and I can literally talk about anything for hours. So right. yeah. we can make something out of anything. Um, oh, for sure. Even if it's a small case, we can always do a mini-sode on it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, anything. We, lo- we love your guys' suggestions. Um, we, found, we found out a bunch of, about a bunch of cases recently that I fucking won are now some of my favorites that were fan suggestions. And I love that. Yeah. And we'll be taking care of them here in just probably the next few weeks. I think we'll start tackling those. Yeah. So hit us up. Let us know what you think. Um, We ask that you rate, review, subscribe. um, On whatever podcasting platform you're on. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, anything like that. Um. If you guys rate us and review us, it helps other people find us. Um, we can reach more people, and that would be awesome for us. Yeah, that w- it really would be. All right, guys. Well, this has been Theory and Crime. I'm Alex. I'm Sierra. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Thank you.